Good morning, everybody. How are you all doing? Great. I'm happy to hear that. That was a good Lenten hurrah. Uh, we're all celebrating Lent, and uh, we're all probably tired of the thing that we gave up, but hopefully you've stuck it out at this point. I'm Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at Axiom. If we've never met before, I'm hoping that you come up to me and shake my hand and say hello. I would love to say hi to you. Um, to begin today's sermon, that we're getting back into uh, the series of overcoming the world, resisting the devil, and fighting the flesh. Um, to open it up, I have a little story that I'm going to tell. Some of you have probably heard this story before. It involves three fish. Now, there is a swear word in the original story, so I'm going to PG it a little bit here. All right? So basically, there are these two young fish, and they are just going about their day, swimming in the ocean like fish do. An older fish swims by and says, morning, boys, how's the water today? They say, morning, morning, and then the older fish swims on by, and one of the young fish turns to the other young fish and goes, what the heck is water? <laughs> Thank you, I got one laugh. <laughs> the, the point is, they, are so, they were so, it's just their day. They're day in, day out, swimming in the water. The fish, they don't know what they're swimming in. And my contention today, as we talk about overcoming the world specifically today in this Lenten season, is I want to talk to you about the water that you are swimming in. We need to talk about that. Because whether or not you recognize it, and more than likely the very fact that you don't recognize it, is the indication that there is water that you are in. In the age of the internet today, it's unavoidable to escape the information, the data stream that's flooding in on each one of us. And we've talked a little bit before at Axiom about some of that, but we really want to dive in here today to focus on cutting through the noise. Because my contention is going to be that it's actually really hard to follow Jesus if our hearts and minds are regularly being shaped by the water. Okay? Gavin, the first week, talked about this process, the importance of entering into the desert, to releasing, to giving things up, and going out in solidarity with Christ out into the desert into the place of wilderness where we leave it behind. And during Lent, that's what we are doing. We're walking out to prepare our hearts for the resur resurrected reality of Jesus on Easter. My desire for the sermon today is to quickly then demonstrate our need to move from being caught in what is just normal the systems of practices and standards associated with the society or environment that we're all swimming in, those things that we tell ourselves are morally neutral but are in fact deeply fraught spaces, places that are actually trying to take something of you, to place their thoughts, their views, its opinions in your mind. We don't recognize it all the time, but we have had flags firmly planted in our hearts and minds. We have been colonized by something other than Christ. 
So my heart is that we can see those things, so we can reorder our lives around the kingdom of God and recognize our victory over the things of this world through the person of Jesus Christ. But it is only in breaking through the patterns and systems of this world that we can enter into that transformative space of resurrection and renewal. We need to move away from the life that is easily entangled into one that is truly free, free to untangle itself from the world. And thus, being untangled is able to be a hope to the world. It is only when we can avoid being captured in the web that we will actually be of help and service because we will become proclaimers of the truth. So, this overcoming the world language, we see it emerges in G- when Jesus is speaking to the disciples in John 16, 33. I have told you these things, he's referencing something he said earlier, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the promise from Jesus. This comes up because Jesus, he has been predicting to the disciples the fact that they will scatter and leave him. That he will be abandoned by his friends. But he says, I am not alone because God is with me. And I tell you these things so that you might have peace. The world, in this world, you will have trouble. And yet, amidst it, we have peace because we can take heart in the fact that Jesus has overcome the world. And so right from the outset here, I want to proclaim that all the conversation we're going to have about the world here, the way through is Jesus Christ because He is the one that overcomes. What is, though, this world that we're talking about? Are we just talking about like nature and environment and cities and people and all this kind of things? Is that what we're talking about when we're talking about the world? Well, the Bible does talk about that kind of world, the sense of everything that's created by God, but there's another kind of world that is referred to and that we are referring to here. The author Dallas Willard wants to find this world in a pretty simple way that I think is helpful. It is our culture and social practices that are under the control of Satan and thus are opposed to God. When we speak about the world, we are talking about those things that are of the devil, of the enemy, that are against God, are opposed to the will of God. In the world, then, sin gets re-envisioned as good. It's confusion. It says, well, we don't know what's really true, so you do you, and you do you, man. To each his own. When the names of things that are sin become good or a matter of opinion, that is the voice of the world. And would it be fair to say That we live in a landscape today, an information landscape of confusion. It's hard to assert anything as being true in a capital T sense because you have your truth and I have my truth. We all have truths. When everybody has truth, nobody has truth. 
we have been stuck in a mire. And what I've been describing as water might be more accurately described as a kind of muck that you can't see through. But this isn't something that is new to our moment. A lot of times we like to sit back and say, well, this is the worst it's ever been. Maybe. But even the writers in the New Testament struggled with what they saw happening in the hearts and lives of their people and called them out of that space. Paul writes, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 2, writing to the people of Ephesus, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, there's a bunch of interesting things here. First and foremost, the fact that the folks that Paul is pointing to, they were trapped by the mess. Paul himself All of us also lived among them at one time. The way that he describes where the sins emerge from is telling. You lived in the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. This language of kingdom of the air is significant. We live in a world that has kingdoms of air in an actual sense. When we talk about influencer power on the internet, where does the influence lie? We even use language of the cloud. These are intangible things, working out and working out disobedience in the lives of the folks in Ephesus. And those get connected with this idea of cravings of our flesh and following the desire, our desires and our thoughts. These spirits, these kingdoms of the air, work themselves out in our very desires, thoughts, and wants. In the age of the internet, these notions feel very relatable to me. It feels like there is spirit or spirits at work, all fighting with one another. It is a noise, a clutter, and a tangle. None of us knows what is right anymore, so we all do what is right in our own eyes or in the eyes of the podcaster that we happen to follow. But it's not just political voices media voices, in the sense of news or any of those kinds of things, podcasts. It's also, it's endemic in the way that we live. We're so captured by it that it feels like water. You go to Dutch Bros. Why do you go to Dutch Bros? Well, because I love Dutch Bros. Why do you love Dutch Bros? Because Dutch Bros. How many of you were on Amazon more than once this week? There are so many things that we say, how do we describe these things? Well, Pastor Eric, I can't get rid of Netflix. I need Netflix. I need Amazon. It's just so convenient. 
I need to unwind after a long day. I need this. I need it. I need it. The psychologist Gabor Mate describes addiction as the thing that you do to avoid being alone with your own thoughts. We are an addicted people. And the addiction disguises something. That thing that we don't want to touch. The truth that we actually don't know how we got here. Why exactly do I think I need a new smartphone or a new pair of shoes? Why do I need this thing? Friends, your mind has a big flagpole sticking out of it, a flag waving, and it looks like the Dutch Bros Mafia. (laughs) These forces work through our cravings. And the easy ones to dismiss are the ones that are obvious. Well, (laughs) Pastor Eric, I'm I'm not a sex addict. Okay. But you, are you addicted to this? Scrolling? I've got to be in the know. It'd be irresponsible for me not to be up to date on things. We all end up sitting around feeling powerless before the sheer glut of data. We feel anxiety, depression. What am I supposed to do with all of this? And we don't realize that we're in a strange kind of water. We've become so comfortable to breathing in this mess. We're afraid to admit that we don't know how to get out. These forces are at work in the way that we think. And we often now associate them with who we are. This is just who I am. I want to suggest that it's not. There's something else that you really are. But this makes the tension a little bit more complicated. There's not an enemy to point at and say, they did this to me. Paul again sees this in Ephesians where he writes in chapter 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The things that we fight against, that we are called to fight against, it's not some person sitting over there that you need a clock in the face. No, that would be easy. What we're actually up against is not flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. They exist in the heavenly places, the places that are intangible and beyond your grasp, that you can't quite wrap your mind around because they're so above you. When we talk about heavenly, we talk about those things which are to some extent, not accessible by you. By you. The scientific mind might describe it as it's multidimensional, da-da-da, right? 
the dimensions that you can't access. And that's what makes them so pernicious, so troubling, so insidious in their nature. They are not flesh and blood, but they have rule and they have authority in your life. Now, we're all laughing about Netflix and about Amazon and all this and that, but let's be honest for a second. How much authority do these things have in your life? How do we measure authority? Who do you dedicate your time to? We sit here for an hour, and maybe if you're lucky, you pray five to 15 minutes a day throughout the week. Are there things to get more time than that in your life? What actually has authority in your life? Do you even know? Do any of us really know? We are in conflict with influencers, algorithms, marketing campaigns, and mass media narratives that we are inviting in daily. Who is ruling our heart? The author, Cardinal, or Robert Cardinal Seurat, he wrote in his, this book, The Power of Silence, something that I'm going to read at length here because I think it speaks powerfully to our condition. Today, in a highly technological, busy world, how can we find silence? Noise wearies us. And we get the feeling that silence has become an unreachable oasis. How many people are obliged to work in a chaos that distresses and dehumanizes them? Cities have become noisy furnaces in which even nights are not spared the assault of noise. Without noise, postmodern man falls into a dull, insistent uneasiness. He is accustomed to permanent background noise, which sickens, yet reassures him. Without noise, man is a feverish, lost person. Noise gives him security, like a drug on which he has become dependent. With its festive appearance, noise is a whirlwind that avoids facing itself. Agitation becomes a tranquilizer, a sedative, a morphine pump, a sort of reverie, an incoherent dream world. But the noise is a dangerous, deceptive medicine, a diabolic lie that helps man avoid confronting himself in his interior emptiness. The awakening will necessarily be brutal. And so here we are in the desert of Lent, confronted with the demons of our lives. As we struggle to let go, we must acknowledge that it is a struggle. We have all become practitioners in something that was beyond, that is beyond us, and we didn't know it. 500 years ago, nobody would have known any difference between that thing, that smartphone that you have in your pocket, and the glass orb that witches and wizards looked into to see the future and to see the way of things. Called them crystal balls. 
Now, you might sit there and say, well, they were just ignorant. Let me explain to you. I use this phone. It gives me data and information. It allows me to access people all around the world. And they would sit back and they would say they wouldn't know how that was substantively different than what the Witcher Wizard was doing. People 500 years ago, they knew exactly what you were flirting with when you got that kind of power and information. You were becoming what John Milton describes in his character of Satan in Paradise Lost. You were becoming king over hell because you refused to serve in heaven. You were becoming lord of your own life because if you can see all things, what in the world do you need God for? The power, though, is a trick. And in the emptiness that comes from that power, we know it. We fill our lives with distraction and noise so we don't have to look at the thing because we know we don't have the ability to stop it. We are lost in need of a Savior. So what do we do? How do we get out? Because it's not all doom and gloom, because the name of this sermon is Overcome the World. So how do we overcome the world? Paul, in Romans chapter 12, he encourages the Romans, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, perfect world. So, how do we not conform to the patterns of the wor- this world? We've internalized the patterns and the methods to the point where we agree. It's like water for us. We march in step. We should not, however, conform, but instead must be transformed. What does that mean? In, John, in 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 5, we read, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There is a Lord, one King, one Son of God. Caesar, in the day of Jesus, used to call himself the Son of God. But friends, none of these influencers or technologies that you're engaged with, they're not, real, they're not a real Son of God. They're pretenders. And their power is no power at all. How do we overcome the world? We believe that Jesus is the Son. We must believe, we must have faith in Jesus. In that way, as children of God, we operate not in the way of the world. We operate in the way of Christ. And we overcome the sin of darkness. Sin and darkness. We are not called to love what the world, in a sense, offers. We cannot love those powers then. We will not hold them in our heart and give allegiance to them. So, given this troubling language, 
about what the world is, about the spirit and force that it imposes on you. The tendency might be to say, well, Pastor Eric, that sounds like a nightmare. I'm going to go out into the desert, like you said, but I'm never going to leave. I'm going to set out a tent out there, and I'm just going to live there for the rest of my life. And so we think we avoid the evil one. But despite this troubled language, Jesus' intention was not that we all become monastic, that we all come to live and love the desert. Let me read a prayer for you from Jesus. John chapter 17. My prayer, he's praying to God the Father here. My prayer is not that you, that is God, take them, that is the disciples. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. You, I, were sent. We go into the desert so we might be sent into the world, not so we can bury our heads in the sand. We enter into the space knowing that we have a prayer of protection over us, given to us by Jesus, that we be protected from evil, and this request that we be sanctified by the truth, that God's word is truth. Jesus prays not that we would leave, but that we would be protected as we step forward into the world as agents of peace and reconciliation. We remember that Christ has gone before us and that he has overcome the world. We step forward into this space with confidence, not having to live in fear and anxiety, that would be missing the point, but to live in a space of recognition that first and foremost, we have to surrender the patterns that we have been embracing, that we have been conforming our lives and our hearts to. We step out into the desert so that we might be purged and have our minds transformed that we live in the space of sanctification of God's holy truth. And we know that truth fully in the person of Jesus Christ. Returning to 1 John chapter 5, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So do we believe that? Do we confess that Jesus is the Son, not just as an intellectual exercise, but do you hold that truth in your heart, your mind? Whose flag is planted there. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're acknowledging, I struggle to overcome the world. The decay, the anger, the abuse, the manipulation. I'd invite you today to confess 
in your heart, your desire for God's sovereignty in your life. That you internalize in heart and mind the fact of Jesus Christ. And step into the world boldly in the full knowledge of His saving truth. We can overcome the world, but only through Christ who strengthens us. So where does your path come from? From Jesus or from the authorities and powers of your social media feed? Is Jesus an afterthought that you tack on to make your worldliness acceptable to your I am a Christian narrative? Or is he Lord of your life? If we go back to week one, Gavin took us out into the desert where Jesus in the sparse landscape was confronted by the tempter. And the tempter came to Jesus and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that, shall co- that comes from the mouth of God. Whose bread do you live on? I know in the space of temptation, it's hard because the struggle with these things the tempter confronts Jesus with is that they're all good things. Power, influence, food, the promise that you can not starve and save others from starving. Are we king over our own hell? Because the truth is, you do not live on bread alone. And you cannot hold all this together. I think if you're honest and you took a moment to release your addictions, that you would find that empty space in your heart, that thing that you don't want to face, that thing that you actually are this close from losing a grip on. And you would know I need something else. And this just ain't going to do it. Won't you pray with me here? Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the hope and the promise that you give us. That you will preserve us in this time of anxiety, fear, unknownness, Lord. May we walk peacefully out to you, seeing that the waves of choppy water, Lord, we can still walk on those. That you will guide us and shepherd us across those waves as long as we keep our eyes fixed onto you. Give us peace in that space in our hearts. We lift it all to you in your name.